This is a talk on virtue. Uh, so the handout I just gave you on purity is one particular example. But this is a, a talk more generally on what does it mean to live the virtuous life? What does it mean to grow in virtue? Um, now I gave a version of this talk last year. I wasn't satisfied with how I put things together then. So I've kind of reconfigured it. But what I teach in the seminary is about the good life, moral theology, uh, through the lens of virtue. Um, so what I'm trying to give you is therefore a kind of 20-minute summary of uh, four academic courses. So uh, I'm trying to put in a lot here, or rather something very important. <laughs> Listen closely. Um, but, you know, somebody who knows a topic well should be able to summarize it briefly because he knows it well. So I'm hoping that's what I'm going to do for you. So this is a talk on virtue. So first, what do we mean by virtue? What is the word? I guess you all know it means literally excellence um, from the Greek. Excellence in a particular thing, a particular activity. So if you have a particular virtue, you are excellent at that particular way of acting. So the example I try and give sometimes is a rather in order to make the point that it's a really specific sphere of activity you can excel in the virtue of standing with good <coughs> posture so a priest should manifest a certain dignity of his priestly state the way he stands should kind of just naturally and easily project that but he also shouldn't be so prim and proper and self-conscious about his appearance that he's kind of paralysed. That there's a right way of standing. And then there's a way of standing in which I'm not standing to look good myself, but I'm standing thinking, for the sake of others, how am I radiating the priesthood? Do you get the, the thought that in one particular activity, standing with good posture, there can be a whole thing of the Christian life encapsulated about living for others, living with dignity, and so forth. Every single activity of your life, there's a better or a worse <coughs> way of doing it. And if you have the virtue, you have habituated yourself that it just comes easily. As you all know, as we all know, you either tend to have good posture habitually or bad posture habitually. Now, there are much more significant activities in your life that you can habituate, but that, like that, pull together all kinds of different motives, uh, all kinds of different purposes into that one activity. And that's what having a particular virtue is, excellence in that particular activity. So the athlete is the typical image uh, and classical virtue of this. So the athlete, what does he do? He is excellent in his particular sphere of athletics. You know, even within athletics, there's different specializations. He has to train. He has to do certain activities again and again and again. And when he's done them again and again and again, when he does that action, his body just semi-automatically moves him in the right way that we talk these days about muscle memory that you've trained the body to react in a certain way 
by repetition. Um, it involves, for the athlete, self-discipline in his food, in his sleep. It involves perseverance. It involves obedience to his coach. If, you, if the athlete doesn't obey his coach, unless you have a very unusual circumstance, the athlete's not going to be a good athlete. Um, and it involves patience in suffering. Now, all of those are true of any Christian virtue too. Obedience to the coach in terms of how to do it, uh, perseverance, you, got just, you have to keep going, and repetition, you've got to do it again and again and again. So more specifically, what is a virtue? Um, a virtue is like a habit, but it isn't quite a habit. It's more specific than that. A habit, you just have a semi-automatic response to something. Um, the alarm clock goes off. You have a habitual way in which you respond to that, for better or for worse. Um, a virtue is like that, but it is embedded in something more interior than just a mechanical, external trigger. It's not just something bodily, it's something bodily and spiritual. Um, so the Catechism says, a virtue is a habitual and firm disposition to do the good. It allows the person not only to perform good acts in the singular, but to give the best of himself. The virtuous person tends toward the good with all his sensory and spiritual powers. He pursues the good and chooses it in concrete actions. And the goal of the virtuous life is to become like God. To have a virtue is to be disposed to something. When the right response, the right trigger comes, you're just disposed to do it. You know what to do. And you're just, it's easy to do it. So one of the differences between someone who has a virtue and someone who doesn't have a virtue is the virtuous man can do the same action, but he does it with ease, with assurance, and with joy. Whereas the man who doesn't have virtue, he might be able to do it on this particular occasion. <coughs> but he's working against his inclinations, he's got to concentrate, it's, it's difficult. The man with virtue, it's easy because he's trained himself, he's habituated himself. All of which is pretty obvious why you would want virtue and why you would want virtue in the things that you are wanting to do in life. You would want to have habituated yourself to have the virtue that relates to the activity. I want to throw in another category here, passion, or the passions. So the passions within us are semi-automatic, well, are automatic movements of the sensitive appetite that arise when the intellect contemplates something perceived as either good or evil. So something is presented before you in the intellect, and there is a semi-automatic response. That is, a passion arises. It moves you to that thing. So let me give some examples here. First, you will not be surprised to hear me <coughs> to 
take an example of food, the donut. So, um, my intellect sees the donut. My passion spontaneously arises, and then my will decides: will it go with that movement or not? So my passion might arise, but my will might refuse it and go in the opposite direction. But when my intellect contemplates the donut, the type of passion that will arise will depend on how my intellect contemplates it. So when I look at the donut and I think 650 calories, I'm going to have to run 35 minutes to burn that off. Um, and that particular donut does or doesn't have the particular flavouring combination that I like. How I perceive it in my intellect changes what is evoked in my passion. Whereas if I look at the donut and I'm looking at it in terms of all those things that for me personally trigger desirability, then my passion is saying, go for it, go for it, go for it. And my will can then say no or yes. So there's these three aspects of me in a decision. My intellect, how it perceives something, changes which passion is evoked. The passion is there, so the intellectual contemplating, the passion that arises, and then my will that either goes with the passion or against it. Different example, a hurt child. So the intellect sees the child, sees the child with the graze on the knee, some passion is evoked. Hopefully, in the work we're doing here, this spontaneous passion that is evoked is a passion of compassion, of sympathy, of wanting to help the child, and then it's easy for the will to move with that. But lots of people have a habitual disposition to just not like little children. Uh, and the child with the grazed knee kind of evokes nothing in the passion. And they might still decide, okay, this child needs help, I better... But there's nothing in the passion pulling them to help the child. So these passions can be powerful tools moving us to do the good thing, making it easier to do the good thing. Or if we train ourselves in a way that bad passions are evoked or a lack of passion is evoked, then to do the right thing anyway becomes really tough. And what virtue does, the repetition, the habituation of virtue, is it trains these passions so that they respond according to how you've trained them. Okay, last thing about these passions. So, I perceive the donut. Now, I can play with my intellect in kind to manoeuvre my passions. St. Thomas says that you can't command the passions like a tyrant, but you can manoeuvre them politically. So I see the donut, I feel within myself the strength of the passion, <clears throat> um, but I tell myself... Um, 
the amount of calories. I tell myself, actually, I had that one last week or the week before, or it doesn't wasn't quite as good as I wanted. I, the one with the sprinkly toppings is already gone. Um, I can my will can command my intellect to think about certain aspects of the donut that make it look less attractive. And that passion kind of diminishes. The passion I know isn't helpful. The passion that I kind of want to override, I can kind of calm it down. And I can habituate my thinking so that every time I look at a donut, I think 650 calories, 35-minute run, uh, I think of all the things just habitually that kind of diminish the passion movement to it. Or I can, every time I look at a donut, think, yeah, yummy. Uh, and that every time I look at the donut, everything in me is moving for it. Um, that when I eat the donut and I get that sugar rush and I experience that sensory pleasure, there is something confirmed in the will that orients me to that in the future. Um, so one act of gluttony today <coughs> habituates me more to it for the future. Which leads me on to my next... Yes. I took all the calories out of the donuts. <laughs> She's a nurse. <laughs> okay. I see they're gone already. So. Um, okay, my next point. Repetition. What causes a virtue to grow? Repetition. I always joke with the seminarians, there are three things that cause a virtue to grow. Repetition, repetition, and repetition. Um, that either works with natural virtues, like the athlete, he just his kind of physical training. He just repeats it again and again, and his muscle memory, his strength of will. So Aristotle knew repetition is what causes a virtue to grow. The Christian in the supernatural order, we know this even more in the life of grace. Because every time I do a good deed, I am removing an obstacle to grace infusing. I'm removing an obstacle to the impregnating of myself with divine charity. So whether we're thinking of it according to Aristotle, not knowing the Christian God, according to grace in the supernatural life in St. Thomas, um, what causes me to grow in a virtue? What causes me to be habituated to the right thing I'm trying to grow in? Repetition. But, um, as I've kind of already indicated by how you perceive something, you've got to perceive it the right way. You've got to be repeating the right action. So let me give two different examples of the hurt child. So you can look at the hurt child and every time you look at a hurt child, you think of this child as, you know, within you there's just this resentful taking up my time yet again, some kid hurting himself. Why did he do it? He didn't have to do that. Stupid child. I habituate myself. I've got a pattern of thinking every time that's what's evoked and I can every time my will overpowers and I choose the right thing and I do help the child 
but kind of reluctantly, well, I get habituated to a kind of grudging compliance that has no joy, but it might move me to do the right thing, but not really in the right way. Whereas, if each time I look at the child, I think, this little child is just like my nephew, who I love. This little child is just like I was when I was that age. This little, I habituate myself to have a pattern of thinking so that when I look at the child, I see and think a whole package of things that moves my passion spontaneously to just want to do the right thing. And it becomes easy then for my will to choose the right thing. All of which moves to the practical conclusion that when I do something, I want to think what I'm doing. So in mental prayer, we contemplate, we ponder things, we think of them before the Lord. All of that thinking and talking to the Lord and contemplating should be in order that we think rightly about things. Because thinking rightly about things means we end up feeling rightly about things. And it becomes easy to have the right virtues of those things. Okay, a specific example. Um, So I want to grow in... I have the vice of gluttony. I want to grow in eating properly. Now I could have um, what's called the habituation of continence. I'm in control. My will is in control. And I always eat the right measure. But I'm not habituated to it. I'm always fighting within myself. Whereas if... I have looked at food, thinking it through. I'm doing this as a Christian. I'm doing this in a way that's going to be good for my body. I'm doing this in a way that enjoys it, but not excessively. I'm doing this in a way that is oriented healthily to God. I've thought it through, triggered a certain passion. And then if I do that again and again and again, that when I look at food, my thinking will semi-automatically move to the right thoughts, semi-automatically move with the right passion, either restraining, moving, or moving the right strength, moving to the right thing, that even iceberg lessons can look attractive if you've thought about it in the right way for the right number of times. And then it's easy for my will to choose the right thing. There's a harmony between my intellect, my passion, and my will. And that harmony is the possession of virtue. Um, Different example, patience. So patience is an interesting example and that's when St. Thomas is talking about why patience is so valuable, he's saying because it applies across so much of human existence. 
almost all human existence is characterized by suffering in some form or another. So to have patience, I have something that can be applied in all kinds of different circumstances. Um, so I might, in one sphere of activity, act patiently, and then I will just spontaneously, in a completely different sphere, this movement of patience is ready to be applied, this disposition is ready to be applied in some whole new scenario. That's what makes virtue so powerful, that it can be applied because it's an inner disposition, not just to one particular activity, but another activity, that same virtue can be applied. So I grow in patience by acting patiently, thinking patiently with children, I suddenly find I, well not suddenly, I gradually find actually I end up becoming a more patient driver or a more patient something else. Um, and that involves the thinking of how I'm acting in a patient manner. So patience, among other things, is focused on the good that is on kind of on the other side of the suffering. If you only see the suffering, if you only see the difficulty, what wells up in you is anger. I'm angry about this difficulty. Patience sees the good behind it and moves you to that good through the suffering. Um, okay, last point about what virtue is. Uh, I'm sure we've all heard the phrase, virtue is a mean, meaning it's between two extremes. Uh, that almost every human activity you can do, you can engage with it too much or too little. The food example, I can, you know, we have a, gluttony is a more common problem, wanting too much, rather than being so obsessively concerned about maybe bodily appearance, that you eat too little. The right measure is somewhere in between. And that doesn't mean it's halfway, that means it's somewhere in between. And in the example of food, that somewhere in between varies with each person. Some people need to eat more than others, some people need to eat less than others. It varies with a different circumstance. So you've just been for a long hike, the body needs more right now. But the virtuous mean between two extremes. Every activity, there's too much or too little of it. The virtuous mean, how am I thinking, how am I engaging? I'm thinking it's um, somewhere in between the proper measure. Can I just head you off at the pass with three examples that do not have a, a mean? So, <laughs> um, charity, hope, um, and faith, um, the theological virtues. You cannot love God too much. You cannot hope in him too much. You cannot believe in him too much. So there isn't a mean there. Um, you can, you can um, believe in him in a stupid way that actually isn't real faith. So if I believe that God will save me when I jump off the lodge balcony, well, he hasn't said he's going to save me. So that actually isn't faith, it's superstition, it's stupidity. 
So that's not an excess of faith. It's putting your faith in something God hasn't said, which therefore isn't faith. Your question? I don't have the question anymore. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so, summarising all of this, what th- this has been a talk on virtue. Um, this has been a virtue talk trying to summarise everything I teach in the seminary. What is virtue? It's about excellence, excellence in a particular sphere of activity. Um, so you have a virtue according to each different sphere of activity. There's a right way, a better way, a worse way, a vicious way of doing each particular activity. The passions are this element within us that is this spontaneous arising in response to what is contemplated by the intellect. By thinking something through correctly, I trigger the right passion and it's easy for the will to do that, move towards that. I do that again and again and again and I habituate myself so the next time I'm in a particular situation, I think correctly or appropriately, I trigger the passion that moves me to the good and it's easy for the will to move towards it. And that is the possession of virtue. It brings ease, it brings joy. And that's why it's pretty obviously something to be sought for in the Christian life.